Welcome to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Mandy Walls. Find me at LNXCHK on Twitter. All right, welcome to the show. This week, we are going to talk about automation and operations with Brittany Woods of H&R Block. Brittany, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mandy. Happy to be here. Yay. Tell us about yourself and what you're doing at H&R Block these days. Yeah, so I am obviously Brittany Woods. I am a manager of the server automation team now at H&R Block. That's a new thing. Before that, I was a lead cloud automation engineer. Uh, My specific focus is in infrastructure automation, both on-prem and in the cloud. So things like Terraform and configuration management and and all of those goodies, that's still a focus now that I'm managing the server automation team. Essentially, what we're doing is we're trying to take uh, historical operations tasks, things like push-button deployments, etc. We're trying to get all of that running, uh, get that going, and automate the things. Yeah. So, so like what, what kind of processes do you guys follow for this? Are you using like a, are you doing like all the, the, like check it into Git and like all that infrastructure as code stuff? Like how, how do you go about like taking the old things and turning them into new things? Yeah. So really the biggest thing that we're doing is we're, we're going through a process of analysis. So we're trying to determine, you know, where we stand in terms of automation. What is there that needs to be automated and then as we automate it, we're, we're following all those best practices. We're shifting into basically GitOps, uh, even though that's an odd word that's like new and fun. We're shifting into that, you know, GitOps mentality where we're taking everything, we're turning it into code, we're checking it into Git. Git takes it into pipelines and delivers that code to whatever endpoint it needs to go to. Uh, does sanity testing along the way to make sure everything looks good. Um, and that code isn't accidentally released to production before it's ready to be released. And so we're trying to check all of the right boxes as we go through in terms of you know DevOps and automation and building those skill sets uh, internally, giving all of the separate teams kind of the ownership to own their you know destiny, if you will. No, it's awesome. So like as folks are are like learning how to do this, like what kinds of things are you finding that is new for them? Like, and, and like, you're going to build on the skills they already had, but like, what are the, some of the things that might be like completely new to somebody coming into to maybe an automation project? Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest thing that you have to get used to is in the areas where you're going from maybe scripted automation into like continuous configuration and continuous automation, you have to, you have to get over that, that understanding that you are running the automation. Basically, my philosophy is if you have to click a button to run the automation, it's not automated. So really getting people from saying, oh, that's automated because they have a script or something that they have to trigger and more into thinking that's automated because I don't have to touch it anymore. So so that's the biggest learning curve, I think, is teams understanding what it means to run this continuously, what it means to keep things running without a human intervening and how their code should be crafted in a way that that is okay. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So like, as we think about automation sort of internally as as some of our products, like 
we kind of have it like on a continuum for like, you start out with not a whole lot and then you try it. And then like, it's a, it's a, it's a trust building exercise so that the folks who are like putting this, the automation stuff together, like they'll run it a few times by hand, you know, and then they'll run the script with their own requests or whatever. And then eventually get to the point where like, you feel like you can trust it and it's not going to like, go bonkers on you and turn into like some kind of like Mickey mouse with all of the brooms and Fantasia, like it's just out of control. Right. So yeah, that's fantastic. So what, what kind of benefits then do you see downstream of all this kind of stuff? Like it feels like everybody's super busy and there's a million things that are going on. Are you reaping time back? Are you working on better projects? Like what kinds of things happen then? So, so realistically, the big thing that we, we are kind of seeing now and that we want to see really in doing all of this is the age old buzzword of shifting all of this left. Because ultimately, you know, we have some teams that are very far in this process, they're managing their own stuff. And that's great. Um, and then we have other teams that are, are pretty reliant on operations groups and things like that. And what we really want to do is we want to shift all of this so they can control their configuration. They're the ones creating the application, they understand what's going on their code and their configuration and their systems, they should all live within the same realm of ownership to help with resolving incidents and things like that. So we want to get that back. But the other thing we're seeing is honestly just like increased ownership. So increased uh, ownership of the process and understanding of what's going on. Long term, we want that to equate to faster resolution, things like that. Mm -hmm. But the short term, where we're at, in the short vision is just trying to get that ownership in place and get them able to manage their systems uh, from end to end, able to build their systems from end to end quickly, and then, you know, just start scaling that across. Yeah. So as part of that process, like, are you building samples for them? Are you building like good blessed examples or processes that they can adopt? Or are you kind of walking them through building all of their own stuff there? So it's kind of a combination of both because what we wanted was a stable environment with the guardrails that you need in place. So, you know, my team, for example, we're we're really deep into the configuration management portion of this. And so my team is creating all the pipelines and all of the governance information for the environment and then acting more as consultants or liaisons with the various teams to understand what their needs are help them understand what they need to do in terms of automation and then get that in place. But in saying that though, as acting as those consultants, we're doing whatever it is the app team needs of us. So if the app team in order to get to this good state needs us to create the things and then enable them to manage those things, that's what we're doing. If they tell us to kick rocks and that they can do it themselves, then we kick rocks, they can do it themselves and we kind of just reserve some of our capacity to help them if they need our help. We're coming at these teams with, you know, varying uh, levels of experience in terms of automation, varying automation in place. So we're kind of doing both, honestly, but the end goal is to teach them to fish, so to speak. Mm -hmm. We don't want them to have to come to us if they don't want to or need to. That's what we're trying to do is we're trying to take ourselves out of the equation as much as possible. Awesome. No, that sounds great. Like, as you're like working with these folks, do you see different kinds of questions or problems with different kinds of teams? Is there is there a difference between working with folks who are primarily still on premises versus in the cloud or 
any other like weird hidden things that happen in the in the infrastructure? I wouldn't say that there's necessarily weird hidden things, but not necessarily at H&R Block, but in in my previous experience, people get really set on the way things are done. I haven't seen that yet, but I'm kind of anticipating that there might be some fear or uncertainty surrounding what are we trying to do. Um, And that goes into, uh, you know, myths that we can talk about, but but basically worrying that things are changing, things might be changing too rapidly and that they might miss that train. Um, And so the goal is to get them on the train um, and take them with us. So we're not picking them up at like stop number three, we're starting at stop number one, right? Yeah, definitely. Like, are you offering, do you offer training and stuff like that too, to, to bring them along? Yeah. So, so we, we have an internal training program for, for all of the initiatives that we have going on. Um, we make sure that everything's heavily documented and, and, you know, relevant to what they're going to see and the steps they're going to need to follow because we're meeting them very much where they're at, even if where they're at is not the desired end state for automation, we're meeting them where they're at so they can start to understand the platform and then be like, wait a minute, I can do all of these great things. Why am I doing it this way? Because we want them to have that aha moment themselves. Yeah. Yeah. You want, you want the, the success that generates more interest and then further success. Right. Like, Oh, those people on that team over there, they've got all this awesome stuff that they're doing. Can we do that too? And then like everybody's beating down your door. So exactly. Fantastic. Well, you mentioned uh, a myth and, and there are a couple good ones about automation and we do uh, sometimes have feature on on our, our show here about debunking a myth. So one of the myths, as I've come from automation as well, uh, uh, that I hear or had heard in a, in a lot of places is like, people are afraid they're going to automate themselves out of a job. Mm-hmm. And you just want to say, no, man, you're going to automate yourself into a better job. Right. So like, do you still see that in, in your, your, uh, your teams there? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of that fear and uncertainty that I kind of alluded to is, is people, whether verbally, they express it or not, people are worried that when they automate things, then there's not going to be a role for them, because they're not going to be doing whatever it was they were doing before. But first of all, I've never seen that happen. If anything, I think automation causes more work than less. I mean, really, the answer that I always try to give people is somebody has to be the one that's maintaining that automation and keeping that running. And do you want to be the person that doesn't know how to run that automation? Or do you want to drive that automation and become intimately familiar with it? Because then, like, you haven't automated yourself out of the job, you've automated yourself into a new one. The other thing that, you know, I know people in companies often talk about is they want you to be able to focus on, you know, more beneficial things. But I think that's really true, though, because when you automate these, these menial tasks, or these things that are easily automatable, you've enabled yourself now to jump into new areas. So maybe you want to dive into Kubernetes instead of clicking a PowerShell script to build a server. Um, and you can do that whenever you jump into that world of automation, because you're starting to understand things like orchestration and you know CICD and all of those core foundational things that you have to understand when you start digging into things like Kubernetes and cloud automation and you know cloud resources and services like Lambda and stuff like that. So if you don't understand those core concepts, you're not really giving yourself what you need. So if anything, I think to like go back to what you said, 
if anything, it's not possible to automate yourself out of a job in tech because tech is boundless and endless. So you just enable just yourself moving. to yeah. learn, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You just keep moving to something else and something else and something else. And it's like <laughs> you pick something apart and there's some other rabbit hole to go down and, and shave a yak in sometime exactly. later. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So what's something that like, you've been at this a while, like, I've known you for years now. And I I know you've been at this for, for some time. Like, what's something like, that, you know, you've learned in the past a few years that you wish you kind of maybe known earlier, something that like, you'd give to the youngins out there sort of just starting on maybe looking at doing some automation and things. Something that I've learned, um, like across the years is, is very much that, and I don't know how relevant this is to the question, but it's very much that it doesn't matter like how much you think, you know, because things are going to constantly change. And when it changes, you don't have to be like worried, like maybe new products come and they're doing something similar to the old product you have. There's no reason you have to be afraid of that new thing. Um, Because ultimately, as long as you understand the principles of you know, what you're doing. And as long as you're like passionate about that, you're going to be fine. Like configuration management, for example, you can take the principles of configuration management that you've been doing for years and you can apply that to any other thing. And that's fine. So maybe just don't get too attached is what I would say. It is. It's like, you can't step into the same river twice. Like every company has, you're going to be doing the same tasks and the same sort of stuff to get things going but like there's an infinite number of choices for the tools that you pick along the way mm-hmm. and sometimes like you find a tool that you like and then all of a sudden like they get bought or they decide right. not to build the tool anymore or right. something else happens and you're like oh well this other thing over here does the the same principles and it's time yeah. to 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 move so yeah there's definitely i think that the other side of that too is you know it's okay if you're using whatever you're using, it's okay to use that. Even if it's not like in fashion at the moment, like it's okay to still use that. And I think telling younger me that instead of being like, Oh, well, no, that's not cool anymore. I need to do this or that's not cool. I need to do this other thing. Like telling younger me that um, I think would just cause a lot less stress Uh, because at the end of the day, a tool is a tool is a tool, whether it's the same one that you're used to using or whether it's a new one, whenever you go to a different company, like it's all fine. It's all good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That kind of gatekeeping really is exhausting. And, and like you see it for even the most ridiculous things, like my preference for this parser library is X, Y, Z. And that's the only possible solution to this problem. Like that is such some deep minutia that no one should really care about. Right. But Twitter exists. So, right. Exactly. Tech Twitter is a thing. (laughs) Things are going to pop up. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Just, uh, uh, what else can you share with us? Like I saw you on, uh, was it sky crafters, the cloud, uh, infrastructure automation forum uh, earlier this year. What kind of things are you looking at now? Like, what are you learning for next? Like what's, what else is coming up? Yeah. So, I mean, sky crafters is actually really exciting. I longed for an area where you could, communicate with like like-minded cloud uh, enthusiasts, if you will, because Skycrafters, it doesn't yes. matter if you're new to the cloud or if you're, you know, a mm-hmm. seasoned veteran or whatever. Um, it's just a bunch of people talking about cloud engineering and cloud automation. 
you know, how they can get better, how they can level up, how they can level up others. And so I really longed for that because on tech Twitter, you know, like you say the wrong thing and immediately like you're, you're either like viral on tech Twitter or some bro posts something somewhere and it's, it becomes a thing. So, you know, the things they're doing over there are really exciting because it's really just a bunch of forums and we can all talk about, you know, maybe somebody wants to know what certifications they should get. And, you know, veterans of the industry can come in and say, you know, these are the ones that amplified my career. So maybe go down that path or whatever. Or we can talk about things like multi-cloud and whether we think that's Mm -hmm. a smart thing to do or not a smart thing to do. So I'm, I'm really excited about Skycrafters. Uh, I should get on it more often. I check it probably once or twice a week. But that's one thing that I'm, I'm kind of involved with, just being a member of that community and helping drive the conversation. Let's see, what else do I have going on in my super exciting pandemic life? Yes. I definitely miss conferences. I'll be speaking in, yeah. in my normal speaker spot on Chef Conference coming up in September. Um, so I'll be speaking there just talking about, you know, it doesn't even have to be chef, but just talking about how you take an organization that, that doesn't have configuration management, how you do that, how, how you implement that, because that's just, it's just not something that people talk about a lot. They're like, yeah, you should manage your config. And then config management goes away at some point. But the truth is, is like, it doesn't, (laughs) you're just doing it in different ways. So really taking it from point A to point B and how you implement that in an organization, because I've done it three times now. So yes, <laughs> right. That's coming up pretty soon. And then I'm also working on turning that into, I, I hesitate to use the word book because that's not true, but into a guide, if you will. So, oh, so translating excellent. that knowledge into a guide, and then I'll put that out so people can enjoy it. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> right. we'll, we'll be waiting for that with uh, much anticipation. Right. Yeah. For folks listening, I will put the, the Skycrafters link on the, on the show notes so that you can find that because it is, like you say, definitely an, an interesting forum for, mm-hmm. for folks that are like hip deep in the cloud. You know, I was kind of surprprised. Like when I saw Skycrafters, I'm like, oh, do we, really, do we really need this? And it was like, I'm digging through it. I'm like, yeah, like this doesn't actually exist somewhere else. Like it is kind of an interesting, interesting thing that was sort of missing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, super neat. Yeah. What do you think of multi-cloud? Like, you know, I originally I was like, maybe you shouldn't put all your eggs in a single basket. But then like looking at it objectively, the the cost that would be associated with being in multiple clouds, like and then all of the duplicated automation and code because everybody has their own like resources and you know Azure uses resource groups where AWS is like who's she I don't know her like feasibly it doesn't make sense I think it would be great to be able to have that kind of cohesion and and that kind of you know safety net but at the same time like from a cost perspective it just doesn't make sense <laughs> No, I feel like if you're going to keep it to the point where it's going to be easy for you to spread things out across multiple vendors, like you're not going to get enough of the additional benefits of actually going to the cloud in the first place. Like all of that networking gobbledygook and all that other weird stuff that goes into your capacity planning and your auto scaling and all those things are so significantly different and require so much additional engineering on your part that you're just if you're going to, if you're not going to do those things, like why are you going to the cloud in the first place? Like you're just going to use somebody else's computer and just like whatever. So. Right. Exactly. (laughs) 
Yes. It was a dream. It was a dream at some point, but <laughs> I know. I know. I, I remember the young, naive Brittany being like, oh yeah, we'll put this in tariff form and we'll make sure that it's not vendor specific and then we can move it. Right. Yes. And that lasts for two days. And then, and then you find something and you're like, oh, well this, I have to, I can't not. And then it's blown. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just gone. And it, we'll mourn it, but yeah, I totally, I totally understand the the draw and like, yeah, still have that discussion with folks. I'm just like, right. Maybe you're barking up the wrong tree, but right. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of a bummer. Like, but at the same time, like it's nice to see that the cloud vendors have gotten so sophisticated that it does feel like the, the stuff that you would have built if you had, the budget to do it internally anyway, versus like just some like white boxes in a closet somewhere else that somebody was renting to you. It really does feel like good solutions now versus what it was at the beginning. Yeah. There, you know, there's more accountability, I think, than there was in the beginning. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, it was like, I'm going to run this, but they're giving me no guarantees on whether it's going to be available or any of that. Yeah. So I feel like it's a little, it's a little more of a competitive market now, uh, now that you have GCP, which is a thing and Azure is pretty huge now. And AWS has, you know, been doing its thing with its 5 million services. Everything's to a competitive place now where they don't want people to jump ship. So they're, they're taking some accountability. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like we could be sitting here talking another five minutes, and AWS would put a new service out, and like you'd never even notice it in the in the dashboard. It just like disappears there. It's like, what right. is that thing? And uh, yeah, definitely like getting to know all those things and like becoming like an actual cloud engineer and having that expertise. Like that pathway seems like a a real thing now too. Like, yeah, just getting into to all those components and all the pieces and how they all get configured. And yeah, it's crazy, crazy business now. It's, it's crazy how quickly that became like an actual career path. Um, Instead of just like, I have this skill now it's like an actual thing because you can't really, I mean, you can, but that's a whole job, like configuring cloud and cloud services and understanding how they work. And like, that's a whole job now because it's so vast and it's just, weird how quickly that happened yes yes (laughs) yeah when you're building for scale on premises like you have like the the dudes that put the parkas on and go into the data center and do your rack and stack and then you've got like the other little dudes who like sit in a closet and like plug things into patch panels and do all your networking for you and those are two very different teams but like you put that stuff in the cloud and then it's like well brian and barbara are going to do all of that stuff because it's cloud and yeah. like, hang on, man, like, that's crazy talk. We're <laughs> translating what was, you know, 12 or 14 different tasks and, and job types into like cloud engineer. And you're like, oh, boy, here we go. Right, right. So I mean, it's like a whole thing now. And yeah, like looking at it now, because I kind of fell into that, like I, I started, I cut my teeth as a Windows system administrator, which then turned into uh, configuration management guru, which then turned into cloud automation. And so I kind of fell into it, but now I'm looking at it from a few feet back and I'm like, that's really daunting to look at like the requirements to have cloud experience with no like specific service, like to look at that and, and somebody wants you to have that experience. 
like, look at all the services there. Like, how do you get that experience without falling into it? Like I did where you're just like, Oh, I have to mess with these things every now and then. And then you get used to it and put more things in there. How, yeah. how does somebody break into that industry? And going back to Skycrafters, I think that's why something like that is important because it's so daunting. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, like you say, like, I wouldn't know where to tell folks to get started no. to figure out what they would be interested in than going into dig down deeper into into all those things. Like, it's yeah. just, there's so, so much there now. So, so much. But it's good for us. Like, right. We're going to be around a while. I got, I got years, I got decades to, to before retirement. So like I got student loans to pay still. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. It just never ends. Oh yeah. 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 Just craziness. Yeah. So is there anything else you'd like to, to share with us here before we wrap up? Is there any more piece of advice for folks or anything else that, that um, you'd like to share? I think I can probably wrap everything up by just saying like on the topic of automation and operations and all of that, don't think that you're going to automate yourself out of a job. I know we've already talked about that, but don't think it, don't even entertain it. Think more about how you can be an asset to your own career. Um, instead of thinking about how you can be an asset to your current organization, which is of course important, but in being an asset to your own career, you're essentially being an asset to your organization. So grow those skills. It doesn't matter if it's you know something that you're used to doing. Just keep growing them and automation won't matter. Awesome. That sounds fantastic to me. Yeah. 100%. Well, Brittany, thank you so much for coming on. It's so nice always to talk to you. Yes. We'll put your ChefConf link in the show notes as well. Uh, hopefully we'll see some folks there. I'm also speaking and I, this will come out before ChefConf. So uh, we'll see everybody there. Uh, and thank you again. And so uh, folks, thank you for joining us. And so this is Mandy Walls signing off and we're wishing you an uneventful day. That does it for another installment of Pager to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes at pagertothelimit.com, and you can reach us on Twitter at pagertothelimit using the number two. Thank you so much for joining us, and remember, uneventful days are beautiful days.